middle section three and four, you guys over here five and six. Can we do that? We'll see if this works. All right, here we go. Let's begin. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Gracious God, we ask now as we conclude this conference in this final session that our hearts would be tuned to your grace. We've just sang how much we need you, how individually we need you. And Lord, we ask now that you would encourage us as we look at the gospel. Lord, no matter where we're at in our faith, Lord, would you refresh us as we study the things of the cross and the reality of who we are in Christ. So bless this time as we conclude this amazing conference for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. There's a little-known exercise in World War II that Germany sought to execute in the 1940s, and the intention was to dismantle the currency or the economy of Great Britain, of the United Kingdom. And the plan was actually brilliant. The German um, army... Uh, selected and trained counterfeiters. And these German counterfeiters forged almost perfectly. They were able to forge the British currency at that time. And then what they did is the, the plan was to fly planes all over the United Kingdom and to drop phony money all over the uh, countryside. Uh, the, the argument was, you know, that the people would see, I mean, talk about making it rain. The, the people would see money literally falling from the sky, and they would gather it up in a time of war, and they would hoard it, and then eventually uh, this, this bogus money would make its way into the, uh, the mainstream, and it would assimilate into the currency, and then this would cause hyperinflation. We don't know what that's like at all. Uh, hyperinflation. And then that would eventually cripple the British economy. Um, thankfully, though, the, much of the plan had been stalled and it proved unsuccessful. They did get a little uh, traction with it, but eventually fell apart. And after the war, Britain stopped releasing new banknotes altogether from that um, version and they redesigned their currency completely to eliminate all of the forgeries. Now, I'm telling you that story because, in the same way, there is a counterfeit at work in the world to devalue the currency of the resilient man. It's Satan's counterfeit. We looked at the fruit that that life will yield on earth in our last session and how that, that really is a life of insignificance in eternity. But what I want to do is lean a little bit further down the road. And what I want to do in this last session is just preach the gospel. And I don't want to only preach the gospel to someone who's never heard the gospel. I want us to preach the gospel to all of our hearts, 
because as we'll look tomorrow on Sunday morning, uh, the gospel is not something we graduate from and say, well, you know, that's, that's like beginner stuff. That's Sunday school. We got to move on and graduate to, to better things. There's nothing better than the gospel. Amen? Sorry, our church does a lot of amen, so I get, I get the feedback a lot. So this one guy in particular, like right here, he's always amening. Uh, he's in the spray zone right here. So we all need the gospel. And so for a minute, I want to look not just at the, the, the counterfeit life, but what that yields versus what uh, our lives have as far as verse 6 saying that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So there are two ways. Uh, in, in verse 6, we see that there's the way of the righteous, but there's also the way of the wicked. There's two ways. There are two paths. And I want to address these for a few moments. If you're here and you were invited by a friend and you're not a follower of Christ, and again, it doesn't matter if you say, like, I identify as a Christian. You can identify as a cheese sandwich. That doesn't mean you're a cheese sandwich. It means you're stupid. Okay? So I just want to encourage you here today. You can say all day long that uh, I identify as a Christian, but if you've never repented of your sin and trusted Christ, you are not a Christian. Uh, and so I want to address you for just a minute, but I want all of us to, to listen in and be reminded of the truth that is ours in Christ. If you have not repented of your sins, the scripture is clear, you are on, on the path of destruction. You may be banking on God to save you one day simply because you're a sincere person, but you need to know the truth today that you are sincerely wrong. It doesn't matter how good you have been, uh, how many good deeds you've done, no good deed in all of creation will outweigh rebellion against the creator God. That logic is the same as driving uh, 75 miles an hour in a school zone, striking and killing a child. But then you expect to be let off the hook because, hey, I used to support a little boy with Compassion International. It's wonderful that you supported a child. That's, that's very good and, and admirable. But the crime that was committed does not equal any of your good deeds. One person said it this way, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It's an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest sin, of the most minute offense? What are we saying to our creator when we disobey him even in the smallest way? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I'm above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you command me to do. Sin is rebellion. It's cosmic treason. And the scripture says this will yield not just a life of insignificant chaff, but eternal death and hell. It doesn't matter what excuses you conjure up, you will be laid bare at the judgment seat and the only word that can come to your mouth is guilty. Jesus said it this way on Matthew 7, and there is a day coming, the day of judgment, where he said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus' statement is simple. 
I never knew you. You may have a lot of good deeds heaped up and church attendance uh, lined up, but it isn't about those things. It's about being known by God. It's about a relationship with God, and that is only possible, not on your terms, but on his terms through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible, like Psalm 1, puts all people into just two categories. And no, it's not Republic, Republican and Democrat. It's not dog people and cat people. It's not Yankees fan and a cognizant human being. <clears throat> Sorry, we have a lot of Yankees uh, fans in Florida. We like to razz them a little bit. Now listen, there's two groups of people. There is the wicked and the righteous. Romans 5 says sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. There are many ethnicities and people groups in the world but biblically there are two races only. There are those born physically in Adam and those born again by the Spirit of God in Christ. In our natural state, you and I are all born into that one human race, the race of Adam, the first Adam. Going to church won't change your status. Looking like a Christian on the outside and coming to church and doing the churchy things, that's not going to produce any sort of new birth. Maybe you're here and you've lived a, a lifetime of secret, unrepentant sin, but you've never truly yielded your heart and your will to Christ. If you're in Adam, you are dead and you must be made alive. You see, when Adam rebelled against God, sin entered the world, Genesis chapter three, and because of that, Romans five says, death through sin. And what the representative does affects everyone he represents. So Adam sinned, thus everyone represented in Adam, born from woman, we all likewise sinned. We are all now separated from God, and we will now all be judged eternally for our representative's failure. So when you think about our conference theme for a minute, you realize this sobering truth, that sin entered the world because Adam failed to be a resilient man. I mean, just think about it. God gave Adam a wife, a word, and a world. And what did Adam not do? He didn't man up. He didn't live a life of resilience. Instead of being blessed, like we read in Psalm 1, he was cursed. And instead of his delight being in God's law, what did he do? He questioned God's word because of the serpent. Instead of bearing fruit, he sinned and ate the forbidden fruit. And there were consequences. The wife was deceived the word was broken, the world was corrupted. And the same is true in our lives. Because we are in Adam, because we are in that representative, the same thing will be true of us. Uh, to quote Mandalorian, this is the way. <laughs> this is the way of the wicked. So to be in Adam means, listen to me very carefully, to be in Adam in your natural state means to be under condemnation. You can't change this by right thinking by better behavior, by doing keto. There's nothing you can do to undo this. Your present state, what awaits you in the future, is condemnation. And the law of God, to which the psalmist delights, the law of God, meaning the Ten Commandments and, and God's, God's moral code of conduct, of right living, that exposes us. It strips us until we are laid completely bare of any self-justifying, of any excuses, and then it brings condemnation to us, not only to a physical death, 
but more terrifyingly, a spiritual death. And in that spiritual death, there is separation from God, and the scripture describes wrath and fury. This is bad news. But see, that's what makes the glorious good news so glorious. You see, there is the first Adam, but there's a second Adam. The, the hymn says, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels song. See, men, there's hope because there's a true and a better Adam. There's the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who obeyed the word, who ransomed the world, and who redeemed for himself a radiant bride. We who are Christians are born again a second time spiritually. We're born again into the true and greater Adam, Jesus Christ. And remember, what the representative does affects everyone he represents. So Adam sinned, thus everyone sinned. And yet, what did Christ do? Christ obeyed the law. And so everyone in Christ is now obedient to the law. Christ rose again from the dead and conquered sin and death. And all of his representatives, all those in Christ, have also, Galatians tells us, we have died and we have risen with Christ, Romans chapter six. So we go from this natural state to this spiritual state, from the first Adam to the last Adam, by being born again. And this happens when we turn from our sin, when we acknowledge our sin, when we surrender to Jesus, just as Riley was encouraging us a moment ago in worship, to just lay it down, wave the white flag, and put our faith, our hope, our trust not in our own righteousness, but in our representative's righteousness, in his faithfulness. The Bible says that Jesus has imputed this right standing with the Father to us. In other words, you may owe a great debt you can't pay, but he comes and he puts into your bank account his riches, the riches of his glorious grace, Ephesians 1. So the question before we conclude this conference is, which one are you? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? There are two ways. There are two camps. There are two paths. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Everyone's found it, and those who enter by it are many. But then he says in verse 14, for the, the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In our time here, we see in Psalm Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, there's a way of the righteous and there's a way of the unrighteous. And we are all of us on one of these two paths. And I love you too much to travel the country and just give you a pep talk uh, in a religious way. Uh, I love you too much to do that. And your pastors love you. We want to see your life shaped by and transformed by the gospel. If you're here and you're not a believer... We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Be reconciled, and that's only through the finished work of Christ. You see, there's incredible judgment in verses 5 and 6. Notice verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Incredible wrath and fury and judgment. But there's incredible news in verse 6. Look at this. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Note with me the sovereign knowledge of God in the life of the righteous man. 
In fact, the word for knows here in verse 6, the Lord knows, Yahweh knows, uh, is not in a general way that we sometimes use as men. Like we're, we went fishing with someone, therefore we're best friends. Not, not in that sort of sense. We're, we're, we're mildly acquainted with a guy. The idea here is, is not just, yeah, I've heard of him, as if the Lord is apart from us and goes, yeah, I'm familiar, I guess, with those humans. I'm a little bit familiar with them. The idea was used in, in the um, Hebrew, and then we translated it into Greek. The idea was, was a husband knowing his wife. So you read in Genesis that Adam knew his wife. That's sexual. And that's not what's meant here, the idea that the Lord knows us in that way, but the idea is in an intimate way. When you are uh, laying with your wife, you know her in a way that no one else will ever know. There's an intimacy there. There's a connection there. There's a, there's a fondness and a familiarity. And that's the idea of the word. The idea uh, was used to refer to God knowing Moses and speaking to him. It's used of David uh, that God knew him when he sat and when he arose. What a wonderful truth for those of us who are in the second Adam that the Lord knows our way, that he's intimately knowledgeable of us. Some of us approach our Christianity as if God's a little unfamiliar with us. Like, like the, just picture we're in the, the courts of heaven and an angel comes up and says, Father, I need some backup We've got a tough. We've got this guy named Pilgrim, and he's he's like he's a hot mess. <laughs> we just need some help. And God's like Pilgrim. I'm, I've heard that name before. Why did his parents name him Pilgrim? By the way, <laughs> I just don't understand that. He could have gone with Luke. <laughs> See, Paul says in 1 Corinthians eight three that those who love God are known by God. He told the church in Galatia, "You are known by God." He told Timothy in 2 Timothy two nineteen, "God's firm foundation stands." Bearing this seal, on God's foundation stands this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. What a wonderful truth. That because of Christ, because we're in the, 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 the new Adam, the true and better Adam, the Lord now knows our way. He's intimately knowledgeable of each one of us. Perhaps the most comforting of all, the use of this word is used by Jesus in John chapter 10 when he said these comforting words, I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. If you're in Christ today, believer, rest in the truth that you are known by God, that he knows the way of the righteous, that he's acquainted with you in an intimate and personal way, that when Jesus came from heaven to earth, this was not as the Gnostic uh, teaching went, that he just sort of floated along like a angelic being, but never was really acquainted with the flesh, with the human stuff. No, we realize from the scripture, Jesus was incarnated. He was clothed in humanity. He understands what it means to be human, to hunger, to thirst, to be lonely, to despair, to be exhausted, to laugh, to have friendships, to have joy, as well as rejection, betrayal, suffering, and agony. Jesus is intimately acquainted with our life as humans and are suffering and with you and with me. And yet he has laid down his life for his people. We've come to understand in our two sessions previously that being resilient means to be resolved. It means to not give in to ungodly influence, but to seek and savor God's truth. We also have learned that life is barren if we seek to live apart from God, but when we're rooted in 
the word of God and in the spirit of God, our lives are never wasted. They're never lived in vain, but we realize we're created on purpose for a purpose. But there's one more aspect to Psalm 1 that I want us to look at, and that is that this resilient man is a man who has been redeemed. So we're going to look in this final session at the redeemed man. And I know lunch is afterwards, so we're going to go extra long in this last session. We'll go an hour and a half. Uh, (laughs) The word redeemed. The word redeemed is a financial term. It means to pay for a transaction between a slave owner and a person purchasing a slave. To be redeemed means a slave's freedom has been bought for them. And they are now completely free. We'll talk more about redemption tomorrow in our gatherings. Paul said to the Galatians in 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We just talked about that idea of being cursed. The law produces that. It doesn't produce obedience like a mirror. It tells you, shave, man. You're looking rough. But the mirror doesn't reach out to shave you. It just reveals and exposes you to the fact that you are in need of redemption. But Christ has done that. Christ has redeemed us from that curse by himself becoming a curse, for cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So for our our, uh, time in this session, I just want to see how the redeemed man is three things. So if you're taking note, these are from the text and wonderfully encouraging uh, for us. Again, learning, being reminded of the gospel. So uh, the redeemed man is, number one, buffered from judgment. Look at verse five again. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. So note with me, men, that the righteous are not standing in two places. First, they're not in the congregation of the righteous, but secondly, they're also not in the judgment. Why is that? Because they're chaff. They have no weight. They just get blown away like drywall dust. It's just they're here and they're gone. So it's more than they're not allowed to be hanging out with righteous people, like like. They don't know the initiation or the secret code, the secret handshake. And, and so they're not allowed to get into the congregation. No, the idea is they don't deserve to stand in the congregation. They don't, they don't, uh, they're not permitted to be among the righteous. I want to lean more into this. Again, if you're not in Christ, nothing is buffering you from judgment except for the fact that you're still breathing. Your heart continues to beat, but one day that will come to an end. You're one breath away from the judgment seat. I know pastors rarely mention the wrath of God, usually the love of God, which is important, but God's wrath is found throughout the scriptures. In fact, just take the book of Romans, for example. We started the book of Romans in our church um, last February, and uh, like Calvary Monterey, we go verse by verse at our church through the scriptures. We're uh, about to start a study in Genesis in a couple weeks. uh, And we just finished up an incredible year going um, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. And one thing that stood out to me in Romans is how much wrath and judgment is found in this, this book that supposedly speaks of the gospel. And so there is wrath to speak of. And so if you just look on the screen really quick, just just looking through a quick synopsis, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who will suppress his truth. So it's not that men don't want to believe that there's a God. Uh, it's more, so one person says there's really no true atheists. 
The idea is that men are suppressing the truth of God because they know he's there, but they're like trying to hold a beach ball underwater like you did when you were three or four in the pool. It doesn't work. It spins and you fall and almost drown. So the idea is they're trying to suppress God's truth. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 5 says sinners are storing up. They're putting away an investment uh, of wrath on the day of wrath. Uh, Chapter 2 goes on to say sinners will receive God's wrath and fury. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 12 says sinners will perish whether they acknowledge God's law or not. And we see that right here in Psalm 1-6. In fact, chapter 2-19 says sinners are all held accountable to God. No one's going to escape accountability. 3.23, we know this if you do the Romans road, uh, all fall short of God's glory. He has a standard, and it doesn't matter if you miss it here or you miss it there. Can I ride the ride? Must be this tall. It doesn't matter if you're this close or this close or you're very short. You fall, and we all fall short of God's glory. Romans 5.16 says we will face eternal condemnation if we're sinners. And then in 5.18, we just read it, all men born in Adam are sinners and they will all be condemned. Aren't you so glad you came to this conference? <laughs> Listen, as a pastor, as a proclaimer of the gospel, I would be disingenuous, if not deceptive, if I merely told you, live your best life now. Or, hey, God's primary concern for you is your happiness, or your comfort, or your contentment. In the same way, your marriage is not about your happiness, but your holiness. In the same way, uh, our Christian life is not about our happiness, it's about our holiness. So how can a minister of the gospel stand before condemned people and just pat them on the back? A hand reaching, I've seen this meme, a hand reaching out that's drowning and I go give them a high five. No, we're to to pull people out. The glorious good news is that in Christ, men, we will not stand in that judgment place because the second Adam already took the judgment for us. You see, in Romans 8.1, we learn that in Christ there is now no condemnation. In fact, in the Greek, the, the word or the, the phrase doesn't begin in, in Romans 8 with the word therefore. So in Romans 8, it says, therefore, we, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation. It doesn't begin with there, there is, or therefore. It begins with no. And as a Star Wars fan, it sounds a bit like Yoda. So it reads this way. No, therefore, is there now condemnation. I practiced that in Yoda's voice, but thankfully I didn't do it uh, today. There is no condemnation. The word begins with no. To be in Adam is to be under condemnation. To be in Christ is to be under grace. So before Christ, there was a verdict over you that was guilty. Guilty with the threat of wrath. But now in Christ, the threat has been satisfied. It's been answered. It's been paid. It's been laid to rest. It's not going to be brought back up. Satan will bring it back up. Oh, here's the list of things that you've done. You don't deserve to be at that men's conference. You don't deserve to lift your hands. Who are you? You're a sinner. In fact, Martin Luther, in a dream, had Satan come and bring all of his sins before him in these, basically in these scrolls or in these these bookshelves and just book after book, scroll after scroll. Here's your sin. And Luther said, is that it? And Satan said, no, there's more. And he pulls another scroll out. Look at this list of sins you've committed. And Luther said, is that it? And he goes, there's one more. And he brings it out. And Luther says, is that it? And Satan says, yes, that's it. And Luther said, then write paid in full on all of them because that's what Christ has done. See, you and I deserve wrath, but we have been buffeted from judgment because the guilt associated with our identification with Adam has been removed by our, our new identification with Christ. 
So you as a redeemed man, you need not fear the wrath of God. Yes, Satan will accuse, but we are shielded by Christ's atoning sacrifice. Romans 5.9 tells us we have been saved from the wrath of God. What a glorious truth. You and I are buffeted because we've been redeemed. So you know what that produces in the life of the believer? It produces a deep breath. It produces rest. I can rest knowing my sins are forgiven and I'm not going to be judged for them. Yeah, Satan will bring them up and all I have to say is paid in full for every one of those. So the redeemed man uh, has uh, this buffet, if you would, from judgment. But secondly, notice with me that the redeemed man has been bought with a price. Uh, And so he says, therefore, the wicked will not stand the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You can't move from one category to another without the redemption price being paid. And we can't buy ourselves out of slavery. No, someone else willing and able had to pay the price. Romans 3.24 tells us that that redemption is only in Christ Jesus. We realize it's through faith in his blood that I'm made right with the Father. And so we're dependent upon a price being paid to buy us back. We are dependent. Now, I don't normally do this. I don't normally play video clips, but there's a Chevy commercial that captures this idea of redemption in such a great way. I could talk about it, but I just want to show it to you. So do we have that ready? Let's cue that up. It was more than a car to him. It really was his baby. He has no idea that we've searched for it, and it's going to be the surprise of his life, I think. Okay, I got you. Oh, no. Dear God, that's my old Chevy. We got it, Pop. You're kidding me. Where'd you get it? We found it. It took five years. Really? Dear me. It's all good, Dad. We found it. Wow. And it's the same. Yep. It's the same. It's not just a car. It's all the memories and the feelings. It brings all that back. From fathers to sons, Chevy runs deep. This conference is brought to you by Chevy, by the way. (laughs) Do you think there's any price someone could pay this guy to take that Chevy off his hands? Of course not. Well, with gas prices being so high, maybe he would. (laughs) No, his beloved car was bought back by someone else. There's no price that was too high that his sons weren't willing to get it back. And that car's never getting sold again, you know. And in the same way, in such a greater way, you and I have been bought with a price that God's not going to go back on. The price was the precious blood of his son. In fact, Isaiah 52.3 says, you shall be redeemed, he's speaking to his people, you shall be redeemed without money. And so, so what does this produce in my life? Knowing that I've been redeemed, that I've been bought with a price, what does this produce? It produces gratitude. I can live my life thanking God for purchasing me with Christ's blood. Just like that, that uh, grandfather. He could look at his sons and just, I mean, what do you do? How do you thank so? You just, I can't express my gratitude enough. So we have been buffeted from judgment. We've been bought with a price. But there's a third aspect that's more corporate to this. Jesus 
redeems individuals, to be sure. He's redeemed you if you're in Christ as a man. But he doesn't leave us as individuals. He doesn't leave us isolated. No, together we are now a fellowship of the redeemed. See, the third aspect of this redeemed man is that he is brought into a family. Look at verse 6. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's a plural phrase. The, way, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, plural. Not just the righteous man, but all of us. In fact, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There is a people that we have been redeemed into. In fact, Isaiah 62, 11 and 12 says, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. That's who we are. We are the redeemed, plural. In fact, the word saints in the New Testament is never used in a singular way as if you have been elevated to super Christian and you get a halo over your head and you can offer prayers to you. That's not the idea of saint. It's always used in the plural form. We corporately are the sanctified in Christ Jesus. And here in Psalm 1, we see that sinners will not be permitted to stand in the congregation, in the gathering of God's righteous people. See, that's They're excluded. They are separated, and that's what sin does. It separates us from God. It separated the congregation of Israel by putting you outside of the camp. But when we're redeemed, here's the glorious truth. We we were separated. We were alienated, but we've been brought near to God and near to one another. We've been welcomed into a family, into a redeemed people. In fact, the New Testament tells us in Ephesians 2 to remember Ephesians 2 says, remember you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If you just nod your head in agreement, that was your life before the mercies of God in Christ. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near, how? Uh, By the blood of Christ. A few verses later in verse 19, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That word alien doesn't mean someone from outer space, obviously. It means someone who's an illegal, a foreigner. But now they've been adopted into the people. They've been adopted more than that into the household of God, the family. So not just citizenship, but relationship. See, because of the redeeming work of Christ, we are now a people who have been united together into a new family. They say blood's thicker than water, but we are united not because of our natural blood, but by the blood of the Lamb. Men, we're living in a day where people are becoming tribal, perhaps more than ever, certainly in my generation, I've ever seen. In other words, this is my group of people, We're the in-group, you're the out-group, and we want to stay away from these other people that believe or think differently than we do. And so dividing lines are being drawn everywhere. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And so that means we are all welcomed in to the beloved. We're all welcomed in. He invites us to come. So that means the sin of racism, this idea of an ethnic people group who are outside of the reach of the gospel. We would say that, that is completely, that's a false gospel. That's antithetical to what the truth of the scriptures teach. 
that all are welcome from every nation and tribe. So any discrimination or ethnic division, that's sin. There's no caste system in the church. There's no Jew or Greek. We've been united together in a body, and Jesus commands us to go because one day we read in Revelation 7 at the end, we read this, after this I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from here, every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, one voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and salvation belongs to the Lamb. You see, one day you and I, because of the merits of Christ, we're gonna worship alongside the Pashtun of Afghanistan. We're gonna worship alongside the Hakka of China. With one voice, we will together alongside the Uyghur people and the Rajput and the Khmer and the Ansari, we're gonna worship together with people from every nation and tribe. We've been brought into a relationship with others. Now, you may not have a great relationship with your earthly father, but God has placed you here in a fellowship among other men who may be a great spiritual father for you. Some of you have an estranged relationship with your son or your daughter, and yet here are some spiritual sons that God has brought you into a collective family to pour into. In God's providential grace, he brings us together, not in isolation, but together with his people. Now, as we close this session and we close this conference, if you're not born again, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in faith before the conference comes to a close. And as we conclude, we're going to have uh, the pastors available in the back to pray for you, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And we want to basically pray for any need that you have. It might be from the first session. Pray for me to be more resolved. I need to be a man who's resolute. I've been tempted. I need to stand firm. Pray for me. Maybe the second session. uh, Pray that I'd get rooted. And I am just all over the place. I'm living a life for myself, and I want to be rooted in God, rooted in the scriptures. Maybe it's in this third way. You know what? I've never responded to the gospel, and and I want to repent. I want to believe. I want to trust Christ with my life. We want to pray with you. These prayers don't save. Only Jesus saves. But these are ways that we can leave this conference saying, Lord, I'm going to lay this down at your feet. I'm I'm going to surrender this. As we conclude today, the only truly resilient man was the one who stood before Satan and didn't give in but resisted temptation. The only truly resilient man was the one who stood before sinners Not just in the way of sinners, he stood as a human and he redeemed us for the Father's glory. The only truly resilient man was the one who abided in the Father as the Father abided in him. So as we conclude this weekend, will you stand with me? We're gonna conclude today and I have some questions. If you wanna bow your heads, we're not gonna make you raise your hand for these, but some questions for us to think about before we conclude In light of what we've learned today, some questions as your heads are bowed. What steps of obedience is the Holy Spirit convicting you to follow in? What sin in your life needs to be slayed, put to death, and then laid down at the foot of the cross? What relationship may need to be cut off? Whose input needs to be eliminated? What time needs to be set apart? Meditating on the word of God. What part of your life needs to be surrendered
for the sake of the gospel, not wasting another day for selfish gain, but for God's good purposes. Or if you're an unbeliever here today, are you willing to make Jesus famous in your life by being in Christ? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us as we close. Riley's gonna lead us in song, just quietly. And again, men, don't leave this weekend the same man who walked in. Let's lead, or let's leave as changed men. Let's leave as men of resolve who are rooted, redeemed, resilient for God's glory, for our community's good. Amen? Father in heaven, these are things that, these are not things we do, try to do. These are things that we are. Because of the finished work of Christ, we are rooted. We are redeemed. Therefore, we can be resilient and resolved no matter what Satan, our flesh, our trials, our world may throw at us. We, and nothing, will take away the status of in Christ. It may take our life, and that just graduates us to heaven in your presence quicker. So Father, would you Make us more resilient men, more like Jesus, we pray for your glory.